This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode of She's All Fat is brought to you by Body Posse Boudoir. Uh, you guessed it, Body Posse Boudoir Studio in Portland. Head photographer and fat babe Suma Jane Dark travels around the USA creating high glamour boudoir photos for people of all sizes. I recently had a session, the photos are so gorgeous, and Suma has such a lovely manner about her that I felt so comfortable and beautiful the whole time. Head over to sumajanedark.com to book a session and learn when she's coming to your city. As someone who falls on the Lane Bryant side of fat, even somewhere between straight sizes and plus sizes, how can I actively work to promote body positivity that includes everyone and doesn't exclude those that don't fit inside the normal range of plus sizes? I'm April, and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for body positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. This week, we'll discuss Roxanne Gay's hunger, and watermelon. April, what are you obsessed with this week? This week, I'm obsessed with two prominent internet moments. Okay. Number one, Oprah Thick Free. (laughs) Now, I have been waiting to discuss this on the pod Four days. Oh I'm God. buzzing with excitement. Okay. Okay, so the most iconic and important Instagram page, The Shade Room, if you're not following it, what are you doing? They posted this woman named Cheyenne Lene. She lives okay. in Detroit. She looks like Oprah, but if Oprah was 25 and super thick, people are calling her Oprah Thick Free. It means the world to me. Check out the show notes, guys. A link to Oprah Thick Free. I have nothing else to say other than this woman is perfect. She looks like a doll. Looking at her makes me happy in a bunch of different ways because I love her face because it's Oprah's exact face. It really is. It's Oprah's exact face, but spliced onto the body of a Kardashian. I'm so confused. She looks like Amber Rose, honestly. It's like the body of Amber Rose. She's perfect. Okay, so any, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than I had so much fun looking at Oprah thick free memes. so funny. Like, who is this woman? (laughs) Anyway... Check out um, Oprah, Oprah Thick Free. Thick Free. The second one is this meme that honestly originated a couple weeks ago, but I'm still thinking about it. Okay. And then this week, the meme was expanded upon. I don't think I know what this is. Oh my god, I can't wait. The thing goes skitty kid pop pop, and the poop 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 boom. Skia, poop 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 boom, boom boom. 
actually, I do think I saw this, but I think I just saw it and I was like, huh? <laughs> and people keep using it out of context, which is the best kind of meme. But what it is, is it's this guy. He's British. His name is Michael DePas. But he's playing a character named Big oh, Shaq. Okay. I didn't realize I was it was like, a character. I was very unclear about the whole thing. Yeah. I, was, I couldn't tell how I was supposed to take it. <laughs> so how I took it when I first saw it was like, he's making fun of a lot of rappers their content is purely just making gun noises yeah. and making references to their guns or money or hoes or whatever. So yeah. he just went in and made gun noises for like 40 seconds. <laughs> and the rest of the lyrics are like, the duck goes quack, quack, you were ducking. <laughs> it's so insane. So, but this guy is so funny. So, okay, if you click the link to the interview. Okay. So in character as Big Shaq, he did this interview with Noisy where he read some of the comments on the original video in character as if he was really a, a rapper. Okay. And it's mind-blowing. Okay, let's listen to that. Man, them are trying to get <coughs> on find the beef. You're not good. If you was good, you'd be there. You know, like that, I see bare rappers like, oh, man should have been on the find the beef. If you'd have been on the find the beef, you'd be on the find the beef. Charlie's not hollering at you lot because you lot are whack. Man, them want exposures. Go outside and take your T-shirt off, fam. <laughs> I am in such awe of him. What I really love about this, I think it's just a commitment to character. Because for several weeks, I thought he was real. Until I found his Instagram and found out that he's an actor and a comedian. I'm so he's impressed by funny. him. He's very funny. He's also funny. cute. He's cute um, I can barely understand what he's saying. Heavily British. <laughs> the first time I saw the video, it did have subtitles. I'm just so enamored He's very of him. funny. He kills me. He's like, you're not good. <laughs> That's my favorite part. But anyway, this week I'm obsessed with the Tingo Skra and Oprah Thick Free. What are you obsessed with? Okay, so number one, just briefly, I really like the Twitter meme going around now that's like couples costume idea. Yes, me too. Our friend Kate tweeted one that was just Maggie Gyllenhaal in a scarf. <laughs> Wait, is she always wearing a scarf? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yes. She's just Wait, even in character, she's always wearing a scarf? I feel like That's it. That's funny. I don't know. We'll link Kate's tweets. <laughs> That's this is like so her. funny and specific. It's pretty good. That's great. Yeah, so I like those couples costume ones, especially because a lot of times they're just people's very intense interests. Mm. You know what I mean? I love that. And then the second thing is I actually have a music obsession this week. Aren't oh my you God. proud of me? Look at you listening to music. I know. Um, On record that you rarely do. That's not true. I just am always around people with stronger music opinions than I have. Sure. Okay, so this one was a hot tip from friend of the pod, Marie. She texted me about this group because she thought I might like it. And I definitely like them. It's this band called Sheer Mag. They're like a 70s punk vibe. The front woman is this cool lady named Tina Holiday. I can't tell how indie cool they are because I don't know anything about music. But she often talks about fat activism and being fat on stage. She crowd surfs and talks about how that is kind of a radical act for a fat woman. Their songs are very political. They're about gentrification and citizenship and women's rights and Stonewall and stuff.
they're cool. Very cool. We'll play a little bit of this next one. Okay, what I will say, and this is a compliment, but it's not going to sound like that. Okay. The first song you played really reminds me of, in Freaky Friday, the music that Lindsay Lohan's rock band would play. Remember wow, that? yeah. That Actually, that movie, when I first saw that as a teen, it inspired me to learn how to play the guitar. Really? And I got lessons. Wait, yeah. do you know how to play the guitar? I know how to play oh the guitar God. because of the movie Freaky Friday. Wait, we have to use that somehow. Thank you, Lilo. Wow. She inspired me. That movie actually had a great soundtrack i I learned all the songs on that soundtrack remember Um, chad michael murray singing baby one more time yeah it's great um they remind me that but like adult and cooler and more fine-tuned i really like them i like them too it's like dance poppy punk dance garage punk it's cool i don't know the music words but (laughs) those sound right i like them i love that band so that's sheer mag check out sheer mag guys i'm into it yeah so, now we're going to shout out some people who have left a review on our Apple Podcast page. Yay! So, I want to shout out Love Deals, My My J, Manuel, Peslo, and JJ Mohawk. Thank Thanks, you guys. so much. We'd also like to do some Patreon shout outs. Brianne Huntsman, our nearest and dearest. Thank you so much. Shayna Medinger, Izzy McLaughlin, and Alex Lazinski. Thank you so much for being our Patreon supporters. Hope you're enjoying all the posts. We just did a really long one and had some really good things in it, including a picture of me doing my historical reenactments. Nobody leak it. It's for patrons only. You guys, it's literally (laughs) worth becoming a patron to see the photo. I'm not overselling it. You wish I was. It's amazing. It's the core of my being. Okay. (sighs) So now we have some corrections. Number one. Last episode, I said that Law & Order SVU has 14 seasons. That was wrong. Has 19 seasons. I stopped watching after 14, I think. (laughs) I've seen a couple of the ones on now, but they all tend to be very ripped from the headlines and it's too much. And I don't want to see Olivia Benson's child in danger. It's too much for me. Oh, sad. Also, I talked about the original Spring Awakening. My boyfriend tried to catch me in a lie by saying there was an original musical in the 70s. That is not true mm-hmm. spring awakening was developed for jonathan Groff and leah michelle oh my god when it came out but there was a play that i studied in a class in college about sexual mores in the late victorian era it's a play called spring awakening and it's by a german playwright called frank widdekind and it's even more fucked up than the musical like is more it, of the kids die so it's based off the same material but yeah the musical is okay. based off of the play mm-hmm. but the play is more weird and bad okay interesting but yeah so that's sort of a correction but also i was not wrong that it's the first musical Musical. also just Lindsay was unhappy with the tone (laughs) of our apology in last week's episode so Lindsay just like apologizing to you now for the tone of our apology last week and i would just like to say like this is the last time we're gonna apologize i really hope that that's the case (laughs) we're gonna be apologizing next week for saying that we didn't want to apologize anymore because it was rude I mean, look, I'll do what I have to do. She's my best friend, you know? (laughs) I'm sorry. I have no comment at this time. Okay, let's talk about some news from this week. 
we did an interview this week for a speaker series on body positivity called the Body Love Society. It's All these talks are going to be available online, and as we get more information about how to access the talks, we will let you guys know, but that's going to be really cool. We were also written about a few times this past week, which is super cool. We were written up in the Kirby Fashionista. Thank you guys so much for writing about us, and also some like random newspaper called iNews in the UK wrote about us. Thank you. That is so We're cool. international, baby. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much to Alex Nelson at iNews for writing us up. The links for both of those articles is on our website and we'll put a link to our website as always in the show notes. Also, if you guys follow us on Instagram, then you will have seen that we are doing something called the Pumpkin Spice Challenge. So the original Pumpkin Spice Challenge was to hit 25 members on our Patreon on Team Paisley Moo Moo by November 12th. You guys surpassed that within five days. So we extended the challenge to just be all the people who joined Team Paisley Moo Moo between now and November 12th you'll get the rewards of the level above. So that is a special postcard sent to you every other month. And if you join Team Paisley Moo Moo at any time, you'll also get access to the special private Facebook group that just got created this week. And it's a pretty cool place. There's some pretty cool people. We're in there all the time chatting with everyone. And yeah, on November 16th, we're going to have a meetup at a Starbucks in Los Angeles. That was the original naming genesis of the pumpkin spice challenge it's going to be really fun so if y'all are in la or nearby areas any bakersfield fans come on down oc make the drive up we can't wait to see you (laughs) and we'll hang out so yeah if you just want to join our patreon if you've been holding out for some reason then here's a little bit of an extra push just that if you join between now and november 12th you will get a little extra reward and you'll get that for the length of time that you're a patreon it doesn't go away after the first month you get a postcard every other month from our little hands come join us become a patron it's cool yeah it's real cool we should really get to the meat of it don't you think yeah let's do it the meat of it This week on The Meat of It, we're talking about Roxanne Gay's Hunger. This was a highly requested fan favorite request on the Patreon. If you'd like more input into deciding our episode topics, become a patron. So Roxanne Gay's Hunger is a very laid bare account of her life as a super fat woman. In this episode, we're going to explore how the book affects fat women on an individual basis and as a whole, and a little bit of discussion of what happens actually in the book. So, Roxane Gay. I've been a longtime fan of Roxane Gay ever since I started reading her work on The Toast. If you guys aren't familiar with Roxane Gay, she's a fat black American woman writer, novelist, professor, and critic. Her writing usually focuses on women's lives, on personal memoir, on fiction about little kind of tragicomic moments in women's lives. She does a lot of cultural criticism and a lot of her novels or her short fiction has also some parts about her family roots in Haiti. So now that she's written her novel, Untamed State, she's written her book of essays, Bad Feminist, 
and now she's written Hunger, and now she's, like, kind of a prestige writer, so, like, she just did a profile and interview with Nicki Minaj, and then other than that, she kind of just writes whatever she wants, which includes Outlander episode recaps. It's super fun to read her recaps because she's usually thinking the same things I am. She's in the Outlander recaps. She's so funny because she's just like, but when are they having sex? <laughs> Which, from what I've gathered on Twitter, is what everyone's thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She also writes some really powerful essays on race and on being a woman and just like a lot of good writing. She's very prolific. She's a very pro- prolific writer. Yeah, I liked Bad Feminist. I'm trying to think what my initial thoughts were when I first read it. I I feel like I related to her because she's Haitian-American. I'm Liberian-American. I feel like I related to some of the the way that she discusses her family as far as, like, expectations and different roles as far as members of each person in the family. So I remember being like, I relate to her. But also there's a line that I stop relating to her. And I think it's because of the class thing. I think it came up a lot in Bad Feminist that, oh, she grew up, you know, upper middle, and I grew up not. So I remember being like, okay, there's a little bit of a block here as far as just, like, the way that we view different feminist concepts and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. I've always been a big fan of her. I really appreciate how outspoken she is, and she's somebody who's kind of unapologetically herself, and I always appreciate that in writers and people in general, because... It's hard to be yourself, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier to try to pretend to be someone else just to get by. Yeah. And she's not here for that, and I appreciate her for that. Totally. So I'll tell you guys a little bit about what happens in Hunger, which is her follow-up to Bad Feminist and was a New York Times bestseller. I bet it still is a New York Times bestseller. So she describes Hunger as a memoir of her body, and it talks about her journey in her physical form, specifically highlighting her sexual assault when she was a young girl in middle school and how that affected her relationship with her body throughout her life. She talks about some relationships, romantic, familial, her career, and basically how she got to the place she is today with her body and, yeah, journey through life throughout the lens of her body. Uh, an interesting perspective. So for some context, I will read you guys from one of the first pages of the book, a little paragraph summary of the content of the memoir. The story of my body is not a triumph. This is not a weight loss memoir. There will be no picture of a thin version of me. My slender body emblazoned across this book's cover was standing in one leg from a former fatter self's jeans. This is not a book that will offer motivation. I don't have any powerful insight into what it takes to overcome an unruly body and unruly appetites. Mine is not a success story. Mine is simply a true story. I liked that part. I think it's good to recognize that most memoirs or stories that say that they're about weight are about how I lost my a body the size of my half my former body and I became happy standing in one leg of my former jeans like she's talking about. I think that is very... It's brave to be like, no, we're not doing that. Totally. It's usually, it's almost the tone is like, how I got it together. Mm-hmm. Like that is like Valerie Bertinelli saying, oh I'm done with the pasta. <laughs> and those are the worst because I don't know how many books like that from women celebs of all time I have found at used bookstores. And then I think about the celeb and what she looks like now and she's always gained it all back. Yep. I'm just saying. Diets don't work. <sighs> Diets don't work. <laughs> Diets don't work. 
Okay, so that was a brief intro to Roxanne Gay and to the plot and scope of Hunger. Now we're going to discuss some themes and some motifs that came up in our analysis of the book. This book is going to be kind of hard for us to talk about, honestly, because both of us found it very hard to read. It felt hard to read because something about the book feels so present. I feel like every memoir I've read recently, I've been reading a lot of memoirs by women, it's almost like, this is what happened a long time ago, this is how I felt then, this is how I feel now. Yeah. Something about hunger felt... It felt too close. Present. Yeah, it felt fresh, raw, yeah. really raw, in a way that it felt uncomfortable for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to read about a fat woman who talks openly about hating herself I mean, that's not the whole book, but in a lot of it, she talks about punishing herself, hating herself, the actions and thoughts that she has and takes that are self-punishing for something that I have worked so hard not to punish myself for. It just felt like so up close and large and rough. I think the feeling is when you work so hard to come out of a place where you're thinking such punishing thoughts about your body to look at it to go back and look yeah. at it again just feels very jarring and yeah something about it, it just felt like a fresh cut well there's so much pain in it so much of her other writing is so light and even if it's got that cynical dark undertone to it it's got a little bit of a remove she's got that like intellectual step back which in many ways is probably a defense mechanism but like in bad feminist even when she's being hashtag real she's still stepped back has analyzed herself has analyzed the material she's very sharp and clear and so much of this book is her being like i don't know if i like it i like it i don't like it i'm sad i'm happy i'm hungry i'm not happy i'm sad we're so in her head and a narration of how she's feeling about things and she's clearly still so not clear on how she feels about things. Not that you have to be clear about things, you know, not that you have to be removed from things to write a good memoir. That's just why it was hard for me to read. I literally kept having to put it down and take breaths to pull myself out of when she would have pages about, I look at myself and I hate the way I look. I look at myself and I hate the way I feel. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> Like, it's just hard. It is hard, but our patrons requested it, <laughs> so we're no, going mean, to venture on. I mean, we really have been, just similar to what Roxanne says about writing the book, we've been avoiding talking about it mm -hmm. because we have such conflicted feelings about it. Because while it was so hard for us to read, we're not trying to tear her down at all. It's just, it was hard for us to read. So let's talk about some of the themes that we ran into in a more specific way. When reading the book, she talks about being fat on purpose. She says that she got fat after she was sexually assaulted. So I'm going to read this quote for you. I ate and ate and ate in the hopes that if I made myself big, my body would be safe. I buried the girl I was because she ran into all kinds of trouble. I tried to erase every memory of her, but she is still there somewhere. I was trapped in my body, one that I barely recognized or understood, but at least I was safe. So, I mean, it's clearly that's real. That's her real experience. That is her experience 100%. And I know that it is other people's experience as well. For me, I read it and had trouble not pushing the book away from me because 
it's so close to how many times I've heard thin people want a reason for people to be fat. They want to know what happened to you, what made you fat, why did you choose to be fat. So it's hard for me to separate honoring her experience and honoring that this is really what happened to her and what she is working through versus how many times I've been asked, well, why did you just eat too much? And I'm like, that's not what happened to me. I think this is just the unfair part about having a marginalized identity is that, yeah, as soon as I read this excerpt in the book, the first thing I thought was people are going to take that the wrong way. Yeah. The first thing I thought was great. Now this narrative is going to be applied to everyone else. And it's not fair. It's not fair. I think that someone should be able to tell their own story without worrying about the implications of others. I just think we don't live in that universe. You know what I mean? There's no way that someone would read this and not take away, oh, okay, so fat people get fat on purpose to protect themselves. Yeah. So fat people get fat in response to trauma. Yeah. And it just is And that is true for some people, maybe. Totally. But I think the reality is, I think we know because Trump is president, we can all get on board. (laughs) People are a little more simplistic that you would think yeah and it's easier for people to think in generalizations than it is for them to think with nuance and so i think it's easy to look at the new york times bestseller list buy a book read it and think okay this is the fat yeah. experience it's not roxanne gay's fault that the publishing world doesn't want to hear fat women's stories but it is like cool now that's our story positive side is this book did so well, maybe somebody else will get a chance soon. Maybe yeah, we'll I get the so. opportunity to get another narrative. Because again, there's no way that I'm like, shut up, Roxanne. No. You know what I mean? It's just, it sucks that that is how other people are going to take this. And to be clear, the <laughs> the takeaway is people are fat for a whole bunch of different reasons. Yeah. The reason isn't your business. But also sometimes there isn't a reason. Like sometimes yeah. the reason is just like, got the fat gene (laughs) like sometimes the reason it's just like i'm fat (laughs) you know i mean fat isn't something to be apologized for or excused away so you don't need a reason to be fat something that i've talked about a lot with anybody who will listen is i really love janet mott's um redefining realness and in redefining realness she talks about her experiences with sexual assault as a child and then talks about her transition and she goes to a lot of effort to state, yes, I was sexually assaulted. There's a stereotype that people turn trans or turn gay because of assault. Here to clarify that that's not the case. This was just my particular experience. Yeah. And I just felt that that was so important because especially with marginalization, people, number one, don't understand. Number two, don't uh, they don't know when they're feeding into a stereotype. And honestly, if you have the space and the time and the willingness to give them some tools about how to talk about it, I think it's super helpful. And so when I I read that book right before I started Hunger, and I was just longing for that asterisk. And again, it's like Roxanne doesn't have to do anything she doesn't want to do. She doesn't owe us anything. But I, I long for that because otherwise, like I said, people... I just worry that people will go to that place of, okay, and now this is the experience instead of, okay, now this is the individual reflection. We next wanted to talk about body positivity and context of hunger. So here's a quote from hunger. I have been accused of being full of self-loathing and being fat phobic. There is truth to the former accusation and I reject the latter. I do, however, live in a world where the open hatred of fat people is vigorously tolerated and encouraged. I'm a product of my environment. When I read excerpts like this from the book, I just want to give her all the benefit of the doubt. Because the reality is, she's absolutely right. We live in a super fat phobic culture. And if anybody who has ever gone on any sort of body positive journey, you know that when you start day one, 
it is at a place of self-loathing. But I think maybe here she's just trying to make this differentiation between this is myself and this own private journey I'm going through with how I think of myself, but I'm not applying that to other people. Yeah, I mean, like, that's how we define self-love and body positivity. After the book came out, Roxanne did an interview with a magazine called Guernica. In Guernica, she talked about the, quote, fat positive movement. So she says, quote, I think it's a wonderful movement, but I would love to see more acknowledgement of how challenging it is to feel positive about fatness when you can't find clothing, when there literally is not something made for your body. Nobody ever talks about that. All those fat girl clothes swaps and stuff are for a very specific kind of fat girl. If I was Lane Bryant fat, I would be joyful about fatness. I'm fat positive in that I don't see fat as a bad thing, but what I do see as a bad thing is how I'm treated. I can have the most positive outlook in the world, but that is not going to change how hecklers and people walking down the street are yelling at me. Okay, I'm totally on board with that. As we've talked about before, there is not very much representation of super fat or morbidly obese or whatever term you want to use. I know a lot of people really object to the term morbidly obese because it's like a fucked up term, but... That would be like several hundred pounds, anything that's kind of above what could fit in the Lane Bryant clothing item. I totally understand what she's saying, and I agree that fat positivity does not have an answer for people who are that size right now, and we should be more inclusive, and the world does hold extra challenges for people like her in that way. That makes 100% total sense to me. I wish there was more of this kind of discussion in the book because this is a clarification that I think puts so much more of her words in context that doesn't make it feel universal. So I'm going to read another clip from an L interview around the same time around the same topic that kind of offers another perspective on this for us to dissect. Many of the people who are talking about body positivity are size 12, size 14, even size 16. I understand that there is a lot of cultural pressure for women that size to be smaller, but I'm like, honestly, you have a problem being positive about your body? Really? For me, in this body, it's hard to take that seriously. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I think she's right. I think a lot of the body positive movement is full of things that people who are just outside of the realm of accessibility can fight for you know people who are pushing at the door I for example can go to a restaurant and request a larger chair that's a big deal for me but there's still a larger chair for me Mm -hmm. you know what I mean totally I just think what I want to find a way to accomplish is how do we have these conversations where we're saying we need to be spotlighting paying attention to and figuring out ways to improve the lives of super fans without disregarding the experiences of someone who's like a size 16, a size 18, and finding a way to still allow their voices to be heard without overshadowing those other ones, basically. Yeah. I think that's the problem that she's getting at here, which makes sense. We talk about it all the time, like if you open up Instagram and type in body positive, it's going to be a girl who's a size 10. Yeah. And that isn't who's how like, the movement started. like, fat. Yeah. And it's like, and that's the thing is I don't want to be like, she can shut the fuck up. Yeah. But I also want to be like, that isn't how the movement started. I mean, I think it just is like a spotlighting thing, right? We need to make sure that the most marginalized members of our community are at the center. And that is just not the way it is. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now, I'm fatter than you, but neither of us are super fats. We both still have access to some mainstream things in different ways, but I... I don't know. I don't think that body positivity does have an answer for people who are as fat as Roxanne right now. This was like never our claim, but I don't think like self-love won't make her be able to walk through a door or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's like so much of the things that we work for in an activist way, we can get the courage and and self-advocacy to go after because we can work on self-love because of the advocacy we do that makes us feel like we deserve it. But I don't know how to reach out and make sure we're including people where it's like the world is not accepting of you in any way. You know, that is 100% valid. And I understand why if you see that the body positive movement is frankly leaving those people out when we should be spotlighting them the most, there really isn't an incentive for you to get involved as far as justice for other people. Right. Like I understand where she's coming from with that. I just wish that she could still be like, but I fight for justice for myself. Or even just as far as saying, I believe that I deserve equality and justice, which is not the impression I got from hunger. Which makes me think, I mean, this is something we've talked about off mic too, is just we're always talking about this distinction between self-love, which is I'm on Instagram saying I'm cute, and body positivity, which is trying to end the marginalization of all bodies. Yeah. And I just think that message didn't reach her. The distinction is right. not clear enough. Because her saying, I'm not fat phobic, that's not the same as being body positive though. You not hating other fat people is not the same as you saying, we deserve space. You know, there's a whole part about when she goes to a restaurant and there's not a chair for her, she doesn't say anything about, I wish there were. She just says, I go home and cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would super, super suck. That's really sad. I wish that she could be in a place where she would say, and there should be a chair for me. But I think, honestly, the way she discusses these topics in the books make it clear that it's a failing on body positivity's part. Yeah. So I think a helpful thing when you encounter people who have this mindset is just reinforcing again this distinction. So you can want to fight for the end of marginalization of other people's bodies while still being like, eh, I don't really yeah. love my gut. It's like you don't have to show up on day one and be like, my gut's out. Realistically, that takes years. It's super hard. Yeah. But I think we have to get to a place where it's easy for us to communicate to each other, to envelop other people in, into the movement that... You can come as you are. You can go on your own personal self-love journey and that's your business and take your time. But meanwhile, there's discrimination happening all over the place that does not need to happen. And I think through getting into the mindset of trying to work for the end of oppression for other people, it helps you on your self-love journey. I think they go hand in hand. It would be way easier for someone like her to digest, wear skinny jeans tomorrow instead of, hey, why don't we try to get this law passed so that doctors don't have to suggest gastric bypass i think that would just be more easy more political and a little bit more of a separate way to handle it so i think honestly like for people who care about the movement i think it falls on us how else would somebody like this find out that information unless we make it more accessible you know 
she clearly, from what she's saying, she's like, I'm not a part of the body positive movement. I'm not a part of the fat positive movement. It's definitely my gut reaction to be like, then you're bad. Like, why not? But you're totally right that we need to be like, how are we failing and not including her and not centering people like her who are the most marginalized fat bodies? For sure. For sure. I think if a movement exists for you, but you've made a decision not to be a part of it, then we got to explore why. And you're going to write a text about why you don't want to be involved in something that's so mainstream and seems like such a perfect fit. I think we got to look at ourselves and say why. I think it, it can't be all on she's bad at being body positive. I think it has to be body positivity has been bad at serving her. Yeah. So those are kind of the main things we wanted to touch on from our perspective. Overall, this was hard for us to figure out how to talk about because we have such complicated feelings about the book. I mean, both of us are still huge Roxanne stands. I love her. So that's our perspective is small or mid fats. And we asked a friend of ours named Alex, who is super fat, what her perspective on hunger was, because we realized that our perspectives are limited as well to our bodies. So we're going to read what she sent us about hunger. Okay. I know that hunger is flawed. Is the book the most ideal representation of the complexities and different experiences surrounding fat life? No. But what the book is for me, to a certain extent, is comfort. It was the first exposure I ever had to a female author, particularly one who was of comparable size to me, discussing how her experience with sexual violence as a child directly influenced her weight gain. I know that's not most people's experience of weight gain, but it was mine. And to hear that come from someone who is also not a small fat, who knows what it's like to have fluctuated around 500 pounds and the additional social humiliations and challenges that come along with that was very soothing. As a treatise on what it means to be a fat woman in the world, or as a guidebook for what fat women experience in general, I think the book is flawed. But viewed through the lens of a personal memoir, having someone put my particular brand of pain into words was extremely gratifying. Okay, number one, Alex is a great writer. That was so well put. Shout out to Alex, honestly. It was important for us to include that just because, again, we have to make it clear. We're not here to say other people's experiences are not as valid as ours because like we're the people talking we're speaking through our lens because that's how it works to be a human being our friend alex who is a super fat would have a different experience from reading the book than we did and we still want to note that while you know i'm concerned about how the book will be taken out in the world it means so much that it even exists it means so much for people like alex to feel seen and so i think you know it's still worth it in the long run and I really wanted to hear her perspective for that reason it's just like okay yeah beyond what we feel yeah how did she feel about it especially since it was very hard for me to separate my intellectual critiques of it from like the gut like no 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 I had when I was reading it it's really hard to separate because we're all in the mix you know totally so yeah thank you so much Alex for writing that I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense and I'm sure we have listeners who will relate to that as well and I really appreciate how you very simply and clearly and much more simply than we did (laughs) separated the personal experience from the problems of taking the book as a universal experience totally so to critique this further I have a couple questions okay number one what do our fat heroes owe us I think if you read a text like this especially someone who's so visible like Roxane Gay It's easy to feel like, you're representing me. How could you do this? But I think the reality is, like, she's, as Roxanne makes a point several times on Twitter and interviews in person constantly, 
She's like, I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. So I think it's hard because it's like, yes, you did this. It will affect me. But in reality, what is fair for me to ask of you? Do you owe me anything? Yeah. Everyone who becomes a public figure, I think, should grapple with what their impact and legacy is. So something we've mentioned a couple times in this conversation is how this book could be interpreted in the world and what impact that will have. What do you think a thin reader who read this book would take away from it and go out into the world with? That was part of the reason I chafed against this book so much is because I was like, okay, I'm thinking about thin people reading this book and being like, you poor fat people. Yeah. I'm like, stop. Don't. No. One good thing that a thin reader would be able to take away is she talks a lot about the environment that made her. So she's kind of like, of course, I want to be on The Biggest Loser. I live in a fatphobic environment. Like, of course, I want to lose weight. People are constantly telling me that I'm a burden on the healthcare system, right. that I'm a burden to the people around me, of course. And so I think as far as just describing what diet culture is, I think the book does a great job of that. That's very true. And so I think to present the environment that one would live in where they could get to this place, I think she does a great job. I hope that instead of feeling pity, some thin readers would have more empathy. If there's any kind of fat person I want a thin person to have empathy for, it is a super fat person. Totally. So I hope that that is how some thin people or some straight-sized people came away from it. I like read a lot of reviews of the book when it came out, before I read it, when we were preparing for this episode. I don't know. I think it's like most of the reviews by thin people, I was like, oh, you didn't get any of this. A lot of thin people have absolutely no context for this. And Mm -hmm. that's overall my biggest feeling about this book is that I would have no feelings about it if there were 20 other books about fat people and their bodies. Absolutely. (laughs) If there were, you know, 15 books on the New York Times bestseller list that were like, memoirs of my body, and it's like, you know, another fat trans woman, a fat white woman in a wheelchair, all all different other kinds of intersections and, and kinds of bodies, and then I could be like, well, this thing is problematic in this one, and that thing's problematic in that one, but at least there are different experiences, there's a multiplicity of experiences in the world, in fat bodies, in super fat bodies even, but I'm like, this is definitely going to be the only time other than what TV shows like my 600 pound fabulous life. That's like the only time people are going to be encountering what it's like to be a super fat person. I'm not a super fat person. So I can't say, is this a universal experience for all super fat people? I doubt it. Do a lot of other super fat people feel like Alex that this speaks to their experience? Maybe is this going to make thin people treat super fat people more kindly? I doubt it. I truly doubt it. I think my hope for the takeaway for people who are not directly affected by the subject matter but are hearing about it in the book is that they have an understanding of the culture and that they turn that understanding into empathy and action. That would be my goal. I mean, my my hope would be that they are inspired by this and seek out action on their own. Sure. Or even if the actions just treat people with respect. Like, don't say dumb shit to people. Have an understanding of diet culture's pervasiveness and stop participating in it. In some ways, I also think... When I can pull back from it, I think this is a true text document of the pain that fat women face, which is, again, part of the reason it was so hard for us to read. But it truly is. It's out there and it's like, I hurt. Mm -hmm. I am hurting. And I think that a lot of times fat women push that hurt underneath the surface or don't feel like they can talk about it. So, yeah. You know, maybe that is another thing of saying, no, you're going to listen to how much this hurts for me. And I hope that people are listening. 
I think they are. I think it's just about what the next step is and how they interpret that raw, feeling very unfiltered depiction of their own pain. Yeah. Okay, so what can we do in our space to work on these things that we're talking about? How can we take this and move forward from this with it? I think an important thing for us to do, like you mentioned earlier, is give people the tools to make it easier for people to describe the difference between body positivity and self-love so that it becomes a little bit more accessible to people. She understood that you can participate in this element of it without feeling like you need to come perfect. I think it kind of changed a lot of things. So I think it's about that. I think it's about using our space to give people what are easy, simple-to-do tools that can really make a difference. It could be sort of introductory into this political movement. I think it's clear that it's an accessibility problem that at least had something to do with how this narrative got to the place that it ended up being. So I think that's something we can do. What else can we do? I think we can also make sure that we are making an effort to spotlight super fat experiences and the experiences of those who are marginalized in different ways than we are. I mean, we've only had eight episodes, so we have time, Mm -hmm. but I would like to try to spotlight more super fat experiences, talk about the differences in ways that different sizes ex- of bodies... I just think different experiences of fatness. Yeah, are, are seen or, you know, used or experienced by the world. I think that is one thing you and I can do, is make sure we keep a focus on that, on spotlighting the most marginalized members of our community. And also on making sure that when we talk about how can you work on self-love or whatever, that we acknowledge our respective privilege, which feels hard Mm -hmm. to do, but is necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the meat of it for this week. We have analyzed the social impact of Roxanne Gay's hunger. You're You're welcome. welcome. Thanks to Suma Jane Dark for sponsoring this episode of She's All Fat. In addition to boudoir photos, Suma also does high fashion editorial work. Here's a quote from Suma. One of the things that's driven me up the wall about the body positive movement is that we're supposed to only have photos taken of us that are documentary style. There's no fantasy or fun. We're all like hashtag fuck flattering, etc. But I grew up reading Vanity Fair and Vogue and I'd love to see all kinds of bodies shown in that glamorous style. We deserve that too. We totally agree. Suma is headquartered in Portland and is planning a cross-country road trip, so if you want her to stop by in your city, reach out on her website, sumajanedark.com, or on Instagram at sumajanedark. And now it's time to ask a fatty. If you want some advice, you can send a voice memo of yourself asking a question to fyi at shegolfatpod.com. You can record it on your computer or the voice memo app on your phone. Just keep it short, about one minute max. Or if you're shy, you can send us a plain old email at fyi at shegolfatpod.com, and we might answer your question right here on the show. I can tell you you have a much higher chance of being answered if you send a voice memo. April loves them. Give me that voice. This week on Ask a Fatty, we have a very special letter from Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> Hi, April and Sophie. My name is Hannah. And I have a question about some terms in the body positivity community. In Roxanne Gay's new book, Hunger, she uses the term Lane Bryant fat to draw a distinction between fat bodies that can fit into the so-called standard range of plus sizes and those bodies that don't conform to that norm. 
What do you guys think of the term? Do you guys think it's a useful distinction? Um, I know you've talked before about the difference between self-love and body positivity, but as someone who falls on the lame Bryant side of fat, even somewhere between straight sizes and plus sizes, how can I actively work to promote body positivity that includes everyone and doesn't exclude those that don't fit inside the normal range of plus sizes? Thanks, guys. Hannah, thank you so much for your question and for your voice memo. So as far as the term Lane Bryant fat, I mean, let's keep it 100. When I first heard Roxanne Gay start using this in interviews, I got defensive. Really? I'm like, you're being dismissive of people's experience. She's had a different experience than mine, but growing up, I felt like an elephant going to Lane Bryant. I'm wearing my Lane Bryant high-waisted panties right now, (laughs) and as a kid, I was like, why can't I have my cute little Victoria's Secret pinks? You know what I mean? It kind of felt like... She was minimizing my experience by the phrase. But I also think it's the reality that, like, even for me, I'm anywhere between, like, an 18 and a 22 in pants at any given moment. And it's kind of hard for me to find pants, but I can find them. Like, I can go to Lane Bryant. But she's saying my whole life experience is limited by this lack of accessibility. And so even though when I first heard it, I was like, ugh. Yeah, it's a helpful way to think of it. I can walk into Lane Bryant. Yeah. There's this mall in L.A. that has all the fat girl stores in it. And when we went to it, there's the City Chic right next to the Torrid. And I can't fit into most things in City Chic, even though it's supposed to be for plus-size people. And at the Torrid, every single pant I tried on, I couldn't fit. And then they didn't have their fours and fives. They only had three and below. And I was like a four or a five. So, like, I remember hearing it and being like, that's true. I, my biggest reaction to it was I hate Lane Bryant, though, mm. because I've always resented Lane Bryant for being the option I could fit into if I wanted to wear beige chinos. Totally. That, that's why, <laughs> that was my reaction, too, because I'm just like, you're acting like being Lane Bryant fat is a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ugh. I get what she's saying, though. It's like the same as how sometimes it can be hard for me personally not in an activist perspective, but it can be hard for me personally when my thin friends are like, I feel bad about my body today. And I'm like, fuck off. It's just, it's just them acting out their diet culture they live in. And yeah. I, I just feel like it's really insensitive. But it's, it's that same muscle of being like, yes, this is my experience. I'm annoyed by right. being categorized like this. But realistically, yeah, I can walk into like Oh, Brian. yeah. Because yeah. my best self is able to look at my thin friends and be like, of course you struggle with your body. Totally. You're also a victim of diet culture. But, yeah, I think it's a good term. I wish I wish there was one that was a little bit less sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, we can explain kind of how people use, like, small fat, sure. mid fat. Yeah, let's talk about this. In some of the f- activism or, like, acceptance Facebook groups that I'm in, I have seen people use the terms small fat, mid fat, and super fat. I feel like it's pretty easy to judge based on experiences. Super fat is not Elaine Bryant fat. You have trouble fitting into clothes from a lot of stores. You have trouble in almost every public experience in finding accessibility and finding ways to participate in the world that aren't a struggle. Mid fat is like below that you fit into a bunch of stuff, but you probably have to fly on Southwest so you can get the extra seat or whatever. And you get worried when you go out to restaurants about the chair, or you have to work yourself up in order to make sure that where you're going will be accessible for you. But if you try hard, then probably there'll be things that are accessible for you. And small fat is plus size but don't have to worry about those other things can like squeeze yourself probably into like one plain seat i think i think the terms need workshopping but i think like (laughs) the reason why they exist is just to be able to acknowledge each other's experiences so i think they're they're important yeah and hannah just to address the last part of your question i hope it came across in the meat of it that we totally agree with you that 
we need to be working to be inclusive of the experiences of super fat people. Yeah, so Hannah, thank you so much for that letter. We're going to tweet out and ask you guys to send us some more ideas for classifications of fat. And I'll look for a link that talks more about the terms small fat, mid fat, and super fat. I'll see if I can find the originator of that term or maybe what group or collective it came out of. And I'll put a link that explains it a little bit better in our show notes. Thanks a lot, Hannah. Now let's move on to It's Okay, You Can Ask. My favorite segment of the show where I ask Sophie about confusing white behaviors and she struggles to ask me about black culture without apologizing too much. We'll find out the answers to our burning questions like, why doesn't black crack? Are you happy? (laughs) Or what's the deal with horse girls? Funny, like, okay, I had trouble finding something to ask you about this week. It's about black culture. And Mm. I asked a couple of our friends for ideas of questions and all the questions I got were about white people's interactions with black culture. Okay. Less about explain this thing to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about cultural appropriation and Halloween. Okay. So (laughs) there was this thing on Fox and Friends. Yeah. Teen Vogue wrote this scathing article about Fox and Friends because they had this roundup of kids in Halloween costumes. And there's a little kid and he was not white, unclear of what race he was. I'm not going to make assumptions about his race. Okay. But there was a group of kids dressed as fruits, and he was a watermelon, and immediately people were like, Fox and Friends is racist, which, yeah, they are. Yeah. But but a lot of people were like, how dare they make a little black kid a watermelon? And and I was like, I honestly, usually I'm like, yeah, that's super racist what Fox is doing. But I'm like, I don't know that that was actually super racist then i saw this other thing about lily reinhardt who is betty in riverdale she tweeted "Ooh, found the costume the color of my soul and it's a weird picture of someone dressed all in black with black color on their face they're clearly a white person with black stuff all over them and it was supposed to be a devil or something and people were like you're racist you're racist and i was like i don't know these two situations i'm like are these racist because I don't know what that image was from. I don't think it was blackface, because I don't think it was someone trying to be black. I think it was someone trying to be a demon. I saw this. And then her statement was like, I understand how this could be interpreted as racist. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, fair. <laughs> like, I think that's the only way to make that statement. I see. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. What is your perspective on these things? I think... Who decided he was wearing a watermelon costume? Did they say, we picked for the kids? Right, I have no idea. Or did he pick a freaking watermelon? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. If you saw a picture of that demon and you thought of a black person, I think there's something wrong with you. I don't know that you did anything. But no, I don't think those two specific instances of costumes are racist. I think a lot of people wear racist costumes and know they're being racist. I think you're just being shitty. But it has been interesting to me this Halloween that there's been more mainstream conversation about appropriation than there ever has been before. There's like, are you aware of this? I'm only aware of this because my friend Steph sent it to me. Shout out to you, Steph. You're a real one. She sent me this whole thing about how there's all these conversations about whether or not white girls can dress up as Moana. Oh, well, maybe it was because of college, but I always hear conversations around Halloween where it was like, it's about to be Halloween. Let's not do this. Here's a PSA. I'm not a costume. Yeah. And for me, it's just kind of like accidentally dressed like a Native American person and you're surprised. I think you made a choice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's a holiday and today is the day we saw it. But for me, it's just kind of like, 
it's more indicative of institutional racism. It's hard for me to get up in arms every time I see one because I'm like, yeah, you're being racist. Am I super I problematic know. if I'm like, no, I don't think so. Because I'm like, what's uh, wrong with like, you know what I mean? I'm like, what's wrong with a little kid being like, I love Moana. I want to be Moana for Halloween. You know, not that like little kids can also benefit from and participate in the racist patriarchy. I think it depends on how they go about the costume. I think a good guideline for Halloween costumes is what elements of this person or character am I depicting? Am I painting my face brown to look like Moana or did I just get a long wig? Am I putting on their skin color as a costume right. or am I just wearing the skirt? You know, I just yeah. think that's the line. Like, what are you replicating? Yeah. You know? It's really hard for white people to navigate the difference between appreciation and appropriation because we're not used to just appreciation. We don't know how to do it. So literally putting a costume on your body, it's so hard to figure out how not to make that appropriation. But I feel like in my perfect world, there is a way for white kids to be Moana. Uh, Yeah, I think it's just, again, it's about what elements are you replicating? Because at the end of the day, it's like, what elements do you think are a costume? And what elements yeah. do you understand that is someone's identity? Like yeah. if you don't think that replicating the texture of my hair and the color of my skin and the size of my butt, if you don't see that as like a huge problem, then you clearly are not yet seeing me as a person. I mean, I think it's like a question of scale mm-hmm. where it's like there's this range in the middle that's almost always racist where it's like, are you playing a Roma person? <laughs> Are you being a general black person for Halloween? And <laughs> why? Oh, me like, too. I'm the N-word. Right. I'm like, <laughs> what? Or if you're going very specific or very, very general, I think you have a much better chance. Like watermelon? Don't think that's super racist to be a watermelon. You know what I mean? We'll link in the show notes this commercial that was a mom and a dad. They have a son and a daughter, and it's Halloween. And they're getting ready and going around with their kids. And then the mom hands them costumes, and one is Batman and one is Wonder Woman. And they have the whole day. And then at the end of the night, it's revealed as the dad is closing the door to their bedroom where they're, like, angelically asleep, that the boy dressed up as Superwoman and the girl dressed up as Batman. And he looks at them and he whispers, My heroes. (laughs) (laughs) Even thinking about it again, I'm like shaking. It's so funny. And then it's from a production company and they're like, tag your hashtag my heroes or whatever. So self-congratulatory. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Everything about costumes is hard and weird. (laughs) I'm like, it's so performative and bizarre. It really is. I'm like, I don't know how to tell you not to do it. How specifically not to do it. Just play it safe. Honestly, you don't want to be that guy. Who everybody's posting on Facebook. See what he did? I mean, yeah. But the thing is, then I'm like, Lily Reinhardt didn't do anything, in no. my opinion. But that's the thing. No. I think people, honestly, are just already having a racist thought that they think black is bad and yeah. associate black with bad. Right. So they just saw, like, the black demon and was, like, racist. I've seen this happen many times on white Facebook. That people will be like, here's my daughter as Mulan. And they're like, that's racist. How dare you dress your daughter as Mulan? Meanwhile, you're, like, over on your page, like, oh, I'm ghetto. You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't know that you have a real understanding of this. I think a lot of white people have fear around (laughs) costumes, but Mm. then they don't deal with it. They just get super defensive. I don't know. This isn't my best question. (laughs) No, that's not a bad question. Were those specific instances racist? My answer is, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know that it's helpful for actual racism to have it be, like, Lily Reinhardt 
tweeted like a weird picture of a human in a costume that's just the color black. <laughs> I think that's why I always have the reaction that people have been like, is this racist? Is this racist? And I'm like, dude, the kid in the watermelon suit isn't racist. The, the president's a Nazi. <laughs> like, you're getting distracted. <laughs> like, let's fuck uh, it here. I, mean, I think white people need to learn how to keep each other accountable for their actions. And that's going to be some trial and error, and that's fine. And again, this is, it's okay, you can ask, but don't ask your black friend what's racist. No, they don't I'm care. allowed to because April made me say <laughs> She's black don't crack at the beginning of this <laughs> segment. So I'm I gave allowed. You proper. I said Jesus. doesn't. I gave you doesn't. So how dare you? Oh my god. But no, I think I think it's gonna take trial and error. I do think, you know, if anytime you see anything black, you're like, racist, like the color black. <laughs> I think you have some stuff to work on. But I think it's just indicative of white people trying to be like, is this right? Okay, is this right? Yeah. Okay, is this right? Which I think is fine. Y'all gotta figure it out. Just, you guys, just be like a lollipop. Find something neutral. Don't do this to yourself. Watermelon? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know this is a podcast, Don't look at me like that. I feel like if there's silence, like, you guys know what face I'm making. Which is just like, no. April, it would be so cute if we were both watermelons for Halloween, though. It'd be so cute. <laughs> Done. But, like, why don't black crack? <laughs> why don't black <laughs> crack <laughs> and that's our show be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today and don't forget to send us your questions via email or voice recording to fyi at she's please make sure to leave us a review on apple Podcasts. it's super important in making sure people find the show if you leave us a review on apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the pod next week She's All Fat is created, produced, and hosted by us, Sophie Carter-Khan and April K. Cleo. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she'sallfatpod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. This week, we're posting more information, resources, and readings about hunger just for our Patreon supporters. Our music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Britt Scott. This episode was mixed and edited by Victor D. Jackson. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Bye! Bye. Scraw and water. <laughs> Please just say and watermelon. You're not gonna get it better than that. That's what it sounds like You're to not me. Get it better than that. Can we just put the clip in of him doing it? Sure. Okay. But I also I like your take. Why don't that. you do it? Because your take is better. What is your take then? I just want to hear it. The teen goes scraw. Wow. <laughs> That's not what he does at all. The thing goes... <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.